We are in Genesis, um, Genesis chapter 24 specifically. Uh, just a few ground rules. This is a crazy text, a lot of text, okay? So I'm going to need you guys to stay with me here. Um, we're going to flow through it. We're going to roll fast. It's going to be crazy. Uh, one thing we want to tell you, though, is it's not a faux pas for you to um, ask questions. So um, our heart here is that we just really want people to understand the scriptures, to understand the text, that they can just devour the text. And so it's not about us just getting smarter here. Uh, and so please uh, ask questions if you say, like, what does that mean? Or that's okay. Just letting you know it's not a faux pas. If you need Bibles, please raise your hand. We have Bibles so that you can read through with us, making sure I'm not doing any Houdini stuff, you know, adding verses because I want you to give me something. I don't know. So you can read the Bible here. You can, if you need a pen or, or a piece of paper, raise your hand. Uh, what you can do on the back of your programs are uh, you can write down your notes. And we're in chapter 24 um, in Genesis. So we, we started our journey uh, going through, we went through John. Uh, in Galatians, and now here we are in Genesis. And actually, we're going to take a, and we're going to have slides and all this stuff up in the next couple of weeks. We're going to take a break uh, right toward the end of August. Well, kind of a break. And then what we're going to do is we're going to hit um, some doctrine for uh, for about a month. It's going to be good stuff. Um, and what that's going to be geared toward is us solidifying some doctrine in our hearts while at the same time understanding how God's truth influences why we do what we do here in the community. Uh, and then we're going to jump right back into Genesis again, uh, just to give you a, a short little commercial. All right, um, here we are. So Genesis 24, um, Alvin did, a, Alvin did a, a good job explaining in the beginning that a lot of times this book uh, is a book on dating. How do you date um, or connect with honeys? Um, however... I'm sorry, yeah, and if you knew, man, I'm, I'm going to say all kind of weird things up here, so, you know, praise the Lord. I'm just, so here's the thing. Um, now, I, but the, the main part, the main point of the passage um, is not that. However, whenever you're studying the scriptures, you have what you have, uh, you have biblical interpretation, so here's what the author's intent was. So if you miss the author's intent, then you're going to just you're going to mutilate the application. Right. So you want to understand, like, what was the author's intent was? And people go, well, is that really important? Of course it is. If I write you a letter and you don't get what I wanted you to get, then you really didn't get the letter. You can make up whatever you want. But until you understand what I wanted to communicate to you and you get that meaning, then you really haven't received what I wanted you to receive. OK, so extremely just practical. Right. Extremely important for us to understand the interpretation of the text. And that's why exegesis, we would propose, is a non-negotiable. It's the only way to be theologically responsible, that we need, to talk, we need to look at the passage and say, what was the author's intent? So the author's intent is primary. But there's something that happens in text, and that is you have implications, okay? Within your, when you have your interpretation, here's what it means, but then there's a lot of implications. Here's some different implied meanings that you can definitely get out of the text. Implied is secondary, okay? So implied meanings many times can come from just what are wise things that you gather. We, we, we fall into danger and we make cults when either we have our own baggage and we just reinterpret the scriptures or we focus on the implications and not the interpretation. Are you following me? It's extremely important here. And, and then the thing that makes me want to jump out of a window is then we, we get so lulled and so dumbed down theologically, you go to every church and you think you're hearing the same thing even when you're not. Right. You can go to a church and you can have 
uh, topical teaching that is teaching truly the interpretive, like reading what the author's intent was, and you can go to another church and you not get that, and then we become so dumb that we can't even discern the difference. And so what the Lord wants us to do is it's okay when we have the difference, but be able to discern it. Be able to see, like, whoa, okay, I get what he's saying. That might make sense. I might tell my girlfriend that, but I wouldn't teach that as doctrine. You, can, you, you don't have to always marry the two. They are indeed mutually exclusive. Okay? So I say that to say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, because this text is kind of crazy, we're going to look at the interpretation. We're going to hit the interpretation, and then we're going to come to the implications. So interpretation primary, implication secondary. But just because it's secondary does not mean you don't turn a keen eye to it because a lot of times the implication is still the oracles of the Lord. It's still the wisdom of God, right? It's still God's wisdom, okay? So with that said, uh, when, when, when Alvin was teaching the original intent, we would say, you got these guys walking through, maybe they're walking through the promised land, uh, maybe they're walking through the wilderness, and they, they're hearing these scriptures uh, being taught to them, because that's what was happening. It was being transmitted orally, and they're talking about these things at that time. And they're, and they're realizing these are the Jews, these are the first century Hebrews. I'm sorry, not the first century. These are the near ancient Eastern history Hebrews. And they're saying, look, this intent, when you read chapter 24, is to be faithful, obedient, and trust that God will fulfill his promises. Right? Nothing sexy, but true. And here's the kicker, family. For you and me, if I'm honest, like, we go, well, give me something deeper. No, no, no. This is what I need. This is where I struggle. Just in practical life, to say, man, am I going to be faithful and obedient, do what I'm supposed to do, and trust God will do what he's supposed to do? Right? I tell you, if, I, if we said it every week, I don't think we should get, we should be, oh, man, I got that already, dog. You've got to bring me something else. No, 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 no. That, that's, the, that's the point of the passage. The reason why that's so paramount is because we really struggle with that. We really struggle with that. So that's the intent of, of Genesis 24. We're going to see that in a moment. And, and, and the whole focus of this is that God is providential, his providence. He needs them to see truth in, um, in see truth, well, when anxiety hits, that God is in control. Everything is cool when we're having our quiet times, when we're enjoying Jesus, you lead someone to Christ. It's when anxiety hits. It's when you got that exam on Monday. You know what I'm saying? It's when you break up with someone that you have poured your heart into. It's when you have been disdain and malign. It's when someone is talking about you. It's when there's drama the question is, are you trusting God then? And so the Lord says, that's when I, that, and that's when you see the proof is in the pudding. That's when you know. That's when the rubber meets the road, right? So the Lord, every so we come here, and in essence, we're just trying to massage different ways of saying, let's trust that God is good and that he's faithful. Okay? So that's what's going to happen in this story. That is, I would say, and I, now in, teaching, in preaching class, they teach you, you always want to keep tension. I'm not a big fan of that. I want you to understand the text. That's the meaning, okay? As you walk through, keep that in your mind. All right, and then we're going to come right back and look at some implications too. Let's go to the text. You guys ready? All right, now I'm supposed to have a clicker. I got it. I forgot. All right, let me try this thing. Are y'all ready? Here we go. Oh, man. All right, so we're going to start 
Abraham, uh, this is verse 1 through 4, Abraham was now old and well advanced in years. You have a pen, we can get your pen out too, okay? I know if some people like, don't like to write in their Bibles and stuff. You can do it, I'm telling you. God ain't going to be mad at all. Um, Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. Um, so uh, what's really cool about this is it's starting out, uh, to, you know, almost you're seeing Abraham about to begin this sense of passing the baton, and it's talking about how God has been faithful and, 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 and awesome to Abraham throughout his life. We continue on, it says, And he said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear, you guys like that, watch this. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living currently. But will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. So let me just stop with the thigh piece. So he's serious, right? So in, in, this, in this day and age, uh, you know, what they did when you, were, when you were really, really serious is, you know, you looked the man in the eye and you told him what you wanted to tell him, and then you went right for the thigh. You know what I'm saying? And the dude went, oh, he said, I'm serious. He was like, I know you're serious. You're my thigh. So, right, we like handshakes today. I, I get it, brother. Give us my leg. So he puts, this is what you did. You, you, I'm, I'm, this is a serious thing, man, okay? And he says, look, what I want you to do, I, I, want you to, I want you to get away from here, and I want you to go. I don't know who's believers. I don't know who's walking with the Lord. I know my crew is, though, okay, so here's what, because I remember my crew, so I want you to go back to my crew, and I want you to make sure you find a God-centered hottie, okay? That's what he's saying, right? I don't know, because you, you, I could say, well, 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 she says she's a Christian. No, I know these people. I want you to go find me a woman who's in love with the Lord, right, and I want you to bring her to my son so they can get married, okay? And so he continues on. Now, remember this. Abraham is about 100, 140 years old. Um, and what, I, what, I, what I'm trying to say here, and you're going to see this in chapter 25 too, is in a text, um, the, the text doesn't get, it doesn't get real like cool and, 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 and snazzy the next couple of chapters. And here's why. Because God is trying to show us something very practical. Don't miss this as you're reading 25 too. God is showing you that men come on a scene, they do what they're supposed to do for the Lord, God does what he's supposed to do because he's faithful, and then they die, and then someone else comes on the scene. whole point there is, it's not about us. That you get, even Abraham dies, and God's kingdom and his glory and his plan continues on. Father the nations, and he dies, and we're done, and we keep moving. There's something very humble about that, isn't it? And there's, and there's something very like that, you're, that you and I are very significant but insignificant at the same time. And at the point of the scriptures, when you see even next week, when you see these guys, they live, they do what they're supposed to do for the Lord, and then they die. And so, with the, and so the implication there is like, man, like on your time here, before we die, like are you going to pass up a time well? And that's a continual theme that you will see throughout the scriptures of good godly men and women who realize they're significant, but they're also very insignificant. And they take their role, and they do it well, and then they pass off the baton. And they're willing to say, as my friend said once from a quote, that they want to be men and women who share the gospel, and then they're forgotten. 
which is contrary to our day and age, where it's all about you putting your flag, having your flag wave, and then you keep saying, look what I've done. Look how cool I am. The total antithesis to gospel-centered lives. God doesn't care. It's not about you. He dies. God's redemptive work continues on, guys. Here's an example. See, look, some verses. See, God is doing his thing. God said to Abraham, I'll make you a great nation. 15.5, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to count them, number them. So shall your descendants be. 21.12, through Isaac shall your descendants be named. God has told him, look, man, we're doing something. It's going to start with you, but we're moving, brother. Let's go. We're moving. And he continues on. He's moving, had his baby finally, getting old, about to die. He says, it seems like Abraham gets it. He ain't trying to hoard stuff. He's not all, it's not all about him. I can't believe God going to kill me. I thought I was a man. I'm about to die. Let me grab your thigh right quick. Find my band of boo. You know what I'm saying? Find him a girl that loves the Lord because we got to finish God doing his thing. So I got to make sure that I don't, if God's going to do this, I got to make sure she's godly. You feeling me? Look at this. Verse 5. The servant asked him, what if the man is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I, shall I take uh, your son back to the country you came from? He's like, you know, not as much faith, right? He's like, well, okay, I, I get it. I'm going to be a faithful servant, but what if it doesn't work out like you think, you know, Mr. Godly Christian, you know? He's like, well, what are you going to do? You want me to then settle, right? Will we settle? Well, I thought God was going to give me this. didn't work out. I guess I'll settle. He's like, Abraham said, no, don't settle. Look at this. Make sure that you do not take my son back there. I don't care what happens. You don't take my son back there to just settle for anybody. Abraham said, the Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, who spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying to you, your offspring, I will give this land. He will send an angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. Now, like, here's a question you got to ask yourself as you're reading the text. So did, did God say that to Abraham? Did he say that to Abraham? Argument of silence. You don't see it in the text. I propose that God didn't say this to Abraham. I propose he's, you know, you know what he's focused on? Not some angel saying something or an angel of the Lord saying something. Look what he focuses in on, the promise. He quotes the promise and said, basically he's saying, look, I don't know what God's going to do. If that means if he needs to sing the angel, if he's going to put her in a hypnotic trance, I'm telling you there's going to be a honey from a girl because God said this is going to happen. God tell me that we're gonna, I'm going to be a father of nations. That's all I know. Right? And he quotes the verse there. Love it. Just love the, 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 just the, how unsexy the Bible is. It's just like, dude, he just had faith. I believe the Lord, man. That's, that's what he told his sermon. Look, man, I believe the Lord. Verse 8, if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, hey, then you, you will be released from this oath of mine. I ain't going to hold you captive, you know. God don't do his thing. I ain't going to hold you captive. God is sovereign. What's up? Only do not, do not take my son back there. I won't hold you captive, but then don't start working your plan, all right? You just bring him back here, and I will deal with plan B. Verse 9, so the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master. Don't you love a little exchange of thigh action? And swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Uh, then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left 
taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram, uh, Nehorim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the town when women go out to draw water, right? So he's hanging out. He goes, cool place. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today. And show kindness to my master Abraham. Was he, playing, was he praying out loud? Check it out. It says, see, I am standing beside the spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw the water. So he's sitting, he's standing there, and he's talking to the Lord. He's like, I'm standing by the spring. There's all these beautiful women here drawing water. What's up, Lord? Which one? Right? It says, may it be, verse 14, may it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Uh, notice a few things here. He's prepared. I just love this. Notice he's prepared. He has, um, the reason why he has all the camels and all the stuff um, is because he has a dowry, right? He has a, he has a wedding price. He has, a, he has, a, he has a, uh, the material possessions. He's going to the right places. And what I love about this is he doesn't allow just his preparation. I mean, they're, they're a wealthy, wealthy group, wealthy crew here. He doesn't allow his preparations to get in the way of trusting the sovereignty of God. I love the fact that in the midst of his preparation, in the midst of him having it all together, he has the pedigree, he has the money, he's in the right place, he still seeks the Lord. Love that. Notice the focus on character. He's just not, this is not witchcraft. Family, please hear me. As we study the scriptures, wherever you go, if, you, if you're just visiting here, this is not witchcraft. He don't, don't test God. He's not presuming upon the Lord. It is, it is theologically irresponsible for you and I to presume upon the Lord. He's not saying that, you know what, you better do this because I, I, got, I, I got all this faith, and in my faith I can manipulate your movement, God, right? That's necromancy. That's called witchcraft. Christians don't do that. Okay, family? What he's doing here is when he talks about, so he's not like saying, well, let me, let me, let me make something really crazy, and if God does that, I know it's him. Uh, how about if a girl, you know, asks, gives me a drink, and then water my camels? Like, you see what I'm saying? He's not, he's not working a weird plan, and then when he sees God, God does it, and he goes, okay, this must be the Lord. His point in the specifics is to talk about, I want a woman of character. That's his point. He's not trying to manipulate God so God jumps through all these hoops and he knows, okay, so that's the girl now. His point is, Lord, will you give me a woman with godly character who's humble? We're going to see this. Industrial, has a servant heart, good disposition. She's courteous. I can go on and on. I'll prove it in a moment, but I guarantee you he's not doing Houdini. He's just trusting Jesus and saying, I want a woman of God, and a woman of God has godly character. Right? Before he had finished praying, verse 15, Rebecca came out with her jaw on her shoulder. Okay, check this out, y'all. This is good. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. We did all the genealogy stuff. So this is his great niece, Rebecca. It's Abraham's great niece, okay? The girl was beautiful. She was a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. So why, why all these specifics? Character. We're going to continue on. We'll see in a moment. The servant hurried to meet her and said, so he sees this woman. He's like, huh. Try to meet her. Please give me a little water from your jar. 
Okay? She says, drink, my Lord. She said, <laughs> she said, and quickly, lowered, and quickly lowered the jar uh, to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too. All right, y'all, hold up. Until they have finished drinking. Now, y'all, y'all do the math. Y'all go on Google. How, how much does it take to fill a camel up? Okay, I'm, okay and this, 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 for, this is for the, the sake of argument. I was proposed probably 20 to 25 gallons. All right? He has 10 camels. All right? So this is the second argument. 25 gallons, 10 camels, 250 gallons. How big do you think her jar is? Man, this, is, this ain't now. She ain't got no... This is a jar. She's going to fill water in the jar, run it over to the camel, pour it out. They drink. Go get more water. So maybe, hypothetically speaking, if the jar holds a gallon of water, she's going to do this 250 times. Character. Godly character. What do I do this thing? You see that? She's willing to do this. She doesn't even know this man. Unbelievable. Some of us are going, man, my wife wouldn't give me a cup of coffee. Look. <laughs> 250 gallons, and that's why we're having this sermon. No, uh, some of, I'm joking. Women are going to beat me up now. All right. I was joking, ladies. Unbelievable. Okay, so, so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, right, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels, the scriptures say. Verse 21, without saying a word, the man just watched, Right? Now, I think the brother kind of shady. He could have helped her. He, he could have done about four gallons. You know what I'm saying? So he's watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. She's doing this. He's kind of peeping her out. He's like, wow. He's just checking her out, just seeing her disposition probably, seeing her with the other ladies. I mean, she's not a robot. You gotta, guys, we've got to understand, when you read the scriptures, this stuff happened, family, all right, with people and community. So if you get water, you ain't just like, no, you talking with cats, you know, you hanging, you know, you you see your girls. I mean, she's been there a long time, so she knows people. Oh, hi, Rebecca, what's up, girl? What you doing? You know, this dude asked me, I'm just hooking him up, you know. And so he's watching all this. And so he's watching if she's dogging him, if she's saying weird things. He's seeing her character. In history, family, people, right? So he's checking her out, verse 22 when the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring, weighing a becca, and two gold bracelets, weighing ten shekels. Man, so then he blings her out. Isn't it awesome? He, he just hooks her up, right? He, he says, you know what? That girl's awesome. So he gives her all this jewelry and stuff. Take a note, brothers. So I'm just joking. So then, then he asks, whose daughter are you? Right? He's, just, he's probably just amazed. Whose, whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? Right? Another question just to see some character. Right? She's selfish or is she a share? Right? So, I mean, because in this day, again, there's no holiday inns. Right? You stay with people in the towns all the way through up to the first century. And if people didn't invite you into their homes, you just wander or you slept on the rocks. It was real simple. She answered him, I'm the daughter of Bethel, the son of Milcah, born of Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped Jesus. 
<laughs> Isn't it awesome? So it says, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. See, he got it. He knew when he heard the, when he heard the lineage, because these guys actually not like us, or we don't know our cousins or anything. He knew his master's family lineage. And so when she said those things, it clicked. <laughs> He's like, what? God, look. All right, this is, this is when I can say it. He's like, look at God. That was for my boy. All right, so, so, so he, see, so he, he sees this and he's like, unbelievable, right? The Lord has not just given me a godly woman. You know, he, he, sh- he showed me, like I, like, I was looking for the relative. Here she is. It's a relative. This is awesome. Verse 28. And, and, and notice, notice this happens. And, and, I, and I guess for us, this is one of the reasons we do the prayer, praise, and confession. I want us to get this. Like, like, we ask for God to answer prayer. The Lord is gracious in answering prayer. And then we're like, we don't, I don't, we need to learn how to run to praise. And be like, man, look what the Lord did. Like, I want to tell you guys. I want to just testify. Look at what the Lord has done. And we can think, and, and Satan fools us, guys, because we think we were too, we're being all religious, or we don't want to seem fake, or we don't want to seem hyper emotional. Guys, you guys, we need to repent of those lies. This man gets his answer prayer, and he worships the Lord. Right there. He didn't wait. He says, man, look what the Lord has done. Thank you, Jesus, for, for answering my prayer. Show me, you, you show me this lady. She's awesome. Man, Isaac, man, you, she's off the chain. Isaac, look at this girl. He, he worships the Lord, family. Verse 28. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things, right? So she goes off. Now, Rebecca had, because they, so they agreed, I'm going to come to your crib. Now, Rebecca and her brother named Laban, and he hurried, had a brother named Laban, excuse me, and he hurried out uh, to the man at the spring. Laban, as we, as we continue in the scriptures, he's kind of a shady character. Um, he does what he's supposed to do in this chapter, I must say. But Laban is a trip. So he's an opportunist, right? He's always trying to figure out, he's that shysty brother, always trying to figure out the angle, trying to make that cheese. You know, that's money. I, I, the, the slang, I got to forget sometimes. So he's trying to make that money. He's always trying to figure out an angle, okay? This, this is the guy, I mean, he's, you know, he's still home with his mom, you know, you know, he's like, you know, and he's, you know, he's like, Mom, where's my sandwich? You know, he's that guy, right? You know, let me have a job, you know. He's just shady. So he does what he's supposed to do now, though, I tell you, he does do what he's supposed to do here. Okay, um, you'll see that as we go on in the scriptures as, you, as you're with us, hopefully. As soon as he has seen the nose ring and see his labor, right, he sees the jewelry. He's like, what's up? Right. Season no reading the bracelets on his sister's arms and had heard Rebecca tell what the man said to her. He went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Right. So this is an opportunist. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared uh, the house and a place for the camels. Uh, so the man went to the house and the camels uh, were unloaded. Uh, straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Which, by the way, remember when he said, hey, so can I stay with you? And he said, nothing about the camels. She had the word of thought to say, not only can you stay with me, but we got food for your, for your animals too. We're going to hook all y'all up. Notice the character. Um, the, verse 33, guys, right in the middle. Then food was set before him, he, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. I absolutely love this servant guy. Um, 
Then tell us, Laban said. So he said, I am Abram's servant, and he testifies. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly and has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, men servants and maid servants, and camels and donkeys. So what we're seeing here uh, is a testimony. He's going to share his testimony. Here's what's happened. All right, my master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age. He has given him everything he owns. And my master uh, made me swear an oath and said, you must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. I want a Christian gal, not just a pagan. Then I asked my master, what if the woman would not come back with me? Verse 40, he replied, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son, uh, from my own clan, and for my mother, from, sorry, for my father's family. Verse 41, then uh, when you go to my clan, you will be released from my oath. Even if they refuse to give her to you, you will be released from my oath. I love the testimonies. You're going to see this all throughout scriptures. Just letting you know, testimonies, telling, telling the truth of what has happened in your life is not some evangelical Christian thing that we thought of to share, to share our faith and get people to love Jesus. It is, it is extremely theological, and it is a story to tell the story of God, and, and shall I dare say, to dare say, to retell the story of God in your life when you've been recreated is, is very high theology. It's part of like understanding God's narrative and how we fit in that story. Um, he says, uh, verse 41, then uh, when you go to my clan, you will be released from my oath. Uh, even if they refuse to give it to you, you will be released from my oath. Verse 42, when I came to the spring today, I said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will please grant success to the journey on which I have come. Notice, he did not pray out loud. Verse 43, see, I am standing beside this spring. If a maiden comes out to draw water and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink and I'll draw water from your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, you see that? Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. No manipulation, just, just prayerful. I mean, we always talk about that. Prayer is not, an, it's not always about oratory utterance. It's about groanings of the heart. He's, you can imagine now. Can you imagine a picture? You're in history. Guy standing there, has his stuff, sees the women doing their thing. He's just staring, and he's just going, Lord, would you be gracious? And he's thinking this stuff, and his heart's groaning. This is what his heart's communicating. God hears his prayer. It's answered. He doesn't say, oh, I wasn't really praying because I wasn't praying out loud. He tells a testimony. Let me tell you the story of what happened here. Here's what the Lord did. God gets all the glory. Verse 45, uh, before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jaw on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jaw from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered my camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethel, son of Nahor, who Milcah bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the braces on her arms, and I bowed down and worshiped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my, of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me so I may uh, know which way to turn. I love that part. You talk about a G. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Notice what he does here. He shares a testimony, and he's like, look, here's what happened. Here's what the Lord did, your move. That's what he does, right? Here's what the Lord did. I'm convinced this is, a, this is of the Lord. What you going to do? You going to give me the girl or are you not? Let me know because I'm on a mission for God. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do some things. I got big things going right now, right? So let me know. And they say, 
Which way should I turn? Laban and Bethel uh, answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here's Rebecca. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. Uh, then in verse 52, it says, when Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver, jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to the mother. Her mother, this is what you did back then when you wanted to have someone given in marriage. Okay? You had to pay up. Uh, you had to be a man. But that's what we're going to get there in a moment. Uh, verse 54, then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, send me on, on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, let the girl remain with us 10 days or so. Then you may go. Right? He says, no, I'll hold up. He says, but he said to them, do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. I just love how he, he pushes back. You're like, well, can we just get a couple more days? He's like, no. Um, I gave you all that money. Can I get my girl? I love it. This is great. I love how he steps up. We're going to, we're going to see some character traits in there in a, money, in a moment. Verse 57. Uh, then they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they call Rebecca and ask her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. This is unbelievable. Uh, so they sent uh, their sister, Rebecca, on her way, along with her, her nurse, Abraham's servant, and his men, uh, and they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies in your own time. Take that quote. Do some research. You'll be blessed. Um, verse 61. We just don't have the time. Then Rebekah and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. Uh, so the servant took Rebekah and left. 62. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roy, uh, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. And this is where the music comes on, y'all, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel. Come on, boy! All right. And asked the servant, who is the man in the field coming to meet us? Like, man, who's that brother, right? He is my master. That's the dude. Rebecca, that's your boy, right? So, um... He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Um, then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and married, he married Rebecca. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Beautiful. What's beautiful about this, we don't presume upon God, but I just love how it works really good and perfect. Because everybody's obeying Jesus. Let's look at some traits real quick. Now, that, so the interpretation, guys, is simply this. The people are reading that, and you're, you're in a struggle, and you're just being reminded, wow, look at how God has continued on uh, this beautiful line for his glory. And I'm going to talk about how that, that, that has a redemptive component to it and how it points to Jesus in one moment. Before we go there, I want to look at some implications, okay? We're going to talk implications, okay? Can you hold on one moment? Check out implications, especially if you are um, some single homies and young ladies. Check out some implications, and hopefully we can continue to love on our wives like crazy, uh, and hopefully wives we can learn some stuff when we look at some of these implications. Okay, how, here's how I want to do it, because it's kind of goofy. I want to, I want to focus on the wisdom and responsibility of man, because that's what we're going to see in the scriptures here, and then we're going to see like, what, what God's role is, and that these work in parallel. These work like together, 
And so they're happening. When we say this one, automatically this one's happening. We're going to see that down the line. Cool? All right, guys. First, the assumption in this passage is that marriage is good. All right. The only reason we know that is because here he is about to die, and all he's worried about is making sure that his, his son gets hitched to the right woman, that she's godly and loves the Lord. Um, now, I don't need to go to Genesis helping you understand that God calls marriage good, and he actually institutes uh, the covenant of marriage, which I propose to you um, is probably one of the biggest demonstrations of the Trinity next to the covenant community and adoption as itself. What we see here is God is saying marriage is good because it's under the providential hand of the Lord. Providence, we've already talked about, that everything is under God's control. He's working out everything for his good. This is all about him. We're not just free out here doing our own thing, but God is in control of the whole universe. And the Bible says he's, he's, he's made off both created and uncreated things. So how do you make something uncreated? That's his point. He's made everything. Amen. And then what the, what the Lord is telling us is in that he's in control of the whole universe and that what blows me away in my own life and I look at my sin and how God redeems me and, and cleanses me, he's also intimately involved in my life. Why is he in control of the whole universe? And he's intimately involved in your lives too. Intimately. Um, wisdom responsibility from the passage. Don't be intimate with an unbeliever. Okay. So never, 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 if you're here, and I know some of you guys have tried this, do not, God does not want you to be intimate with an unbeliever. That's just the implication of the passage. He's like, I don't want my son with an unbeliever because God, the, the scriptures are clear. We took a look at 2 Corinthians where it talks about not being, being unequally yoked. That's not even talking about in the marriage sense. That's talking about just, just, having, your, just having your intimacy, even in friendship. If, you, if you're intimate with someone who doesn't love the king, you guys are serving different gods. That's weird. The Lord's like, no, 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 no. You got to love and be intimate with people who understand and love me because your whole life is under my auspices. Your whole life is about King Jesus. So please never, never, never. I know you go, but he's cute. Well, he said he was a Christian. You, you, you got to fight a little higher on the food chain than that, right? <laughs> Just because he said Jesus. I mean, people do that when they stub their toe. Like that doesn't mean much. You know what I'm saying? You want somebody who deeply loves the Lord, who's sold out for Jesus, who says, Jesus is my king, and I do what he wants me to do. Absolutely do not be intimate with an unbeliever. Again, God's, God, what God is doing over there, he's being providential. Men should seek a wife, go where the good ones are. <laughs> Implications, y'all, just implications, all right? Don't be coming up to me after. I'm just saying, man, look at them. Two quick things. First, he, see, I'm blowing away homies that, you know, they're, they're at the elbow lounge on Mac talking about, I just can't find a good woman. I know why. You, you at the, e at the lounge, bruh? Come on, man. You got to go where the good women are. So I get why some of you homies are even at Mac Ave right now, because you see some of the honeys. I get it. That's why, and no, I'm telling you, that's wise. Now, I hope you're walking with the Lord, but you know what? I mean, the beautiful thing in here, you know, I mean, if I was to, you know, throw a dart right now, hit one of these girls with it, it'll probably be a God-centered girl before I kill her with the dart. But, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, I mean, there's a lot of good godly women. I get it. But notice something. Notice he initiates, and this is where, guys, what I do love about our bodies, we have a lot of men in our body, actually. And uh, way past the per capita of what men are, uh, comparison to women in evangelical America. 
Guys, we have to reject passivity. I'm amazed at how passive we are as men when it comes to initiating with women. You want the women to make the move. You want the women to make the decision. We want the women to, to define a relationship. And it's, and it's, un- <laughs> it's unbiblical. Listen. Listen, guys, seriously. Your heart is the heart that's supposed to get broken, not the girl. Are you hearing me? If you don't get that, you are selfish. Your heart. You put your heart on the line. You don't ask her to put her heart on the line and you stand on the sidelines and wonder if you want to be down or not. That is not what God has called us to as men. You are the leader. He steps up. He's clear with the girl. He tells her what he wants to be about. And then she gets the chance to say, I'm cool with that or I'm not. No, thank you. And that's just a plight of being a man. Guess what? We don't have to give birth, though. I'll take it. I'll take the initiation any day. Hear me, family. I know we got to go. Hear me about that. I mean, guys, please, will we step up as the MacAv men? And will you, when you see a girl, like, if you, like, don't just wait. Step up, man. Do, baby, do I have a shot? No. Okay. All right. All right. You know what I'm saying? Keep it clear. Move on. It's all right. But step up, man. Guys, guys, please do not hurt our women in this body. Please. Please. Again, God's role, he's just providential. He's running everything. Don't get married until you're ready to be a man. A lot of times, and, and, I, and I, I get it because we're all messed up, is that a lot of cats, they want to get married because they think marriage is going to make them a man. No, 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 no. See, when boys get married, you mess up the girl. Marriage is for men. See, and, and I, a lot of guys, it's, I'm amazed. I, I, I was counseling a guy the other day, and he's married, and he's like, man, Eric, I just don't get it, man. Like, my wife wants me to be home, you know, and wants me to, like, hang with the kid, you know, and I, I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to hoop, you know, I'm going to do, you know, what's up? I'm like, you, you got married, man. Like, that's what married people do. You have a kid. What are you talking about? Like, if you think, if you just want to hoop all day and hang out with your homies, praise the Lord. Don't get married. Don't get married. Men marry. Men sacrifice their lives and says, guess what? The life I had is over now. I have a new life. And it's not one of duty. It's one of delight. I get to cherish and sacrificially love my wife. I get to cherish and sacrificially love my kids. I get to raise my kids in the Lord. I get to watch my wife in the word. That's your role now. If you're still trying to be single and married, you missed it. You're still a boy. You're still a boy. Marriage is for men. Your wife should not feel insecure. Your wife should know that you have her best interest, that you would die for her at any moment. She should know that you wake up every day and it's really about how do you lift her up to the Lord? How do you deeply care for your kids? She should feel so secure and celebrated that she can free you up to go hoop because she knows my man loves me. God's providence. 
notice there's, there's a reason why the scriptures always talk about men take a wife and women are given in marriage. I haven't, even, I haven't even gotten to talk about, all right, now it's 1237. I'm going to take a few more minutes. I just want to share something real quick. Think about our history. See, it's funny. Like, we get all weird by the vernacular. God's trying to bless y'all, talking to the ladies. See, the thing is, with the way, okay, you think of the 1900s. I mean, for a while, you go to these old houses in Indian Village. You see when you open up the rooms, you open up the door, and there's this huge room in the beginning. The reason why is they had a parlor. Parlor was, you, you know, the brothers didn't come in and go, where's Judy? You know, chewing gum or blowing a horn or all this stupid stuff, right? You walked in, you didn't see Judy. You know what I'm saying? You walked in, you saw daddy. And you saw mama. And the relationship was happening in community, all right? And so you sat down in the parlor. You didn't get to see old girl. You talked to the daddy. So what's your name, homie? Oh, okay. What you do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How that 401k looking? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you process things, and if, and if daddy and mommy didn't like Jimmy, he didn't meet Judy. Right? Now, now you're going, well, that, that's old time. That's not us today. Well, let me tell you where we're at today, okay? So, so you had that, um, but then what happened is you, have, you had density of population. You had cities, you know, urban societies grew up. You had entertainment. But then all of a sudden, men, we begin to take women out more, right? And you got them, you got them outside the family, Right? So you got them away from that, from that security so they can wild out. That's what we did. All right? You continue on down the road and you get magazines started coming out, lying to women, telling them what, what they're really supposed to be, how liberating they're supposed to be. I want to be treated like a man. Well, not really. Have you seen how we treat each other? That's the stupidest thing I think a woman has ever thought of. When you say you want to be treated like how men treat other men because we, we, we lie to each other and we rip you off, we do all this crazy stuff, you don't want to be treated like a man. Okay, but you asked for it. So, so here's the thing. All right, you move on. Okay, all of a sudden we're dating. You're not you're not under the care of the man. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, the care of the family. It's not in community. It's isolated. The guy starts paying for things all the time. He starts paying. Now he wants something in return. And that's why when you look at the um, when you look at the 1900s, dating was almost synonymous um, in, in some in some areas with prostitution. Because dating simply meant I buy you something and you give me something in return. And if you're, if you're giving out like that, that's just prostitution. Okay. So, so then you move on, okay? So you're liberated and now you get, to, you get to hang out more. But all of a sudden you start giving, you start having sex. Well, women start realizing, like, man, I don't want to be treated like this. And that's when you get the whole concept of we're going to go Dutch. You ever heard that? I'm going to go Dutch, see? So I'm paying for my own stuff. Now you can't touch me. Right? All right, we continue to move on. We get into the 1960s. You got the sexual revolution. Everybody's having sex. Everybody's butt naked all the time. You got that to the 60s, all the way to the early 70s, right? So now you're doing all that. Now you get to all these diseases coming up, and now you get all venereal diseases. I'm a doctor's holly if you hear me. And all of a sudden, in 1973, we try to, we try to figure out what to do. We get condoms and all that stuff. But in 73, um, you know, we get all these babies and things are happening. We now, um, we, we, we legalize abortion. Okay. So instead of saying, oh, my goodness, look at, look at the downward spiral of society because of sin, we start trying to, we start trying to uh, deal with it in our worldly sense, and we bring abortion in play, and we bring more condoms, and all of a sudden now you get, um, you got this freedom in the sexual revolution, everybody's being free, and then it gets, it gets this, their, their, their own little handbook, and you get the Playboy. So Playboy at first, just like every, how all sin is, it stars off under the counter, and the guys are whispering, hey, can I get the Playboy? And you put it in the, black, you put it in the brown bag, you take it home, and you look at it, and you're doing all kind of sexual lust and sin and real stuff, and all of a sudden, it gets so crazy, you get the penthouses, and now you got the Playboys in the penthouses right on the front, 
of any drugstore you go to. Right? This is where we're at. You continue on, you get internet pornography, you get all this stuff, you, got, you can go any place and get pornography, you can do all this masturbation, all this crazy stuff, and then you and I are born, and this is where we are. Here's our culture. Here it is. You're free. Let me tell you the last Satan, guys. Hear me, family. Satan, see, here's the thing. You can think that this is normal, because we were born into this. I start off the beginning to say, that's not normal. That's the creative. Only destruction and pain and heartache and damage comes out of that. This is normal. Courting, being in a relationship, in community, having your brothers and your sisters know what's going on with you, making sure that they're protecting your heart, making sure that your, man, making sure that your dad understands what's going on. That's normal, guys. That's recreative. That provides the environment of a beautiful relationship where a man says, I loved her. I married her and I cared for her. Men take a wife. We initiate. That's normal. In community, in love, someone protecting you. Not that you're just free and you do your own thing. Don't look at that in bulk. That's a beautiful thing. You're given in marriage, women, so that you're protected until that marriage day. Are you hearing me? You go, well, I'm doing okay. I made it. Well, I don't even know where that little thing went. I made it. Well, you know what? You're, you're an exception. You're not the rule. I got to continue on. And I, oh, here it is. Guys, only pursue godly women. I'm not going to even harp on that. I mean, come on, guys. Let's trust the Lord. Please. Pursue a girl who is in love with the Lord, who wants to walk with the Lord. You, I'm telling you, we've just seen this. We're young bucks as we serve the Lord in ministry. Guys, we don't have it all together by any means. We counsel people, and we are amazed at how people are in relationships right now, and they're under the covenant, and so we've got to deal with it. But, man, you look at their choice, and it's like, man, the reality is you chose poorly. Let's just keep it real. We're going to pray for God to do some recreative things. You got, a chance, you got a chance right now before you say, for the rest of my life, I'm dedicated to you, to be dedicated to a woman who says, I will do whatever Jesus wants me to do. Women, don't presume marriage upon God. Here's the thing. Maybe 90% of you guys, when you talk about the statistics, will get married. That means some of you will not get married. And what happens is you cannot live your life waiting for that as your pinnacle. And that's what I love about this story here. She's doing her thing. You know what I'm saying? She ain't all like, oh, where he at? You know, she ain't doing none of that. She got her jar. She kind of rough. You know what I'm saying? Because she, I mean, she's girl, this, this girl just lapped out 20, 250 gallons. Right, Matthew? She's a G. You know what I'm saying? She's a straight up G. She's like got her stuff doing her thing. The dude stuff to her. Albeit in the text, I don't even know if she saw him. He stepped to her like, girl, what, what you doing all that? Look at you. He stepped to her like that. You know what I'm saying? Don't presume marriage upon God. God doesn't want you worshiping that. You worship Jesus. 
God wants you to be about your business, doing your thing, loving him, and then God will bring that man to you. You don't want a man that you got to chase. A woman should not pursue a husband. Man, if my sweet Lauren, I'm telling you, I, mean, I hope by God's grace he gives me wisdom and he uses the covenant community to instill in her that if the guy isn't serious enough to chase you, he doesn't need to be with you. I want, my, I want her husband to be like, man, I want him to get to the wedding day like, whew, oh my goodness, oh my, hold on, dog, man, that girl, whew, I do, dog, I do, I take some water, I want to be so tired. Because he had to chase it. Like, this girl is so God, she's so unbelievable. I did whatever I needed to do. I stepped up. I became a man. I got a job. I had education. I walked with the Lord. I did everything I was supposed to do because I want that girl. Don't pursue a man. The scriptures want, you to, want the man to pursue you. You are the apple. You are the beautiful thing. God, God loves and adores you in a way that he wants us to care for you, to honor you. It is so person. This is person. It's not theology. It is so unattractive for me when I see a girl manipulating situations to try to get a dude. It's, it's so. It's just unattractive to me because it, 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 it models that you don't believe this. You don't believe God is providential. Observe her care from a distance before you initiate. You know what? Every girl. Let me tell you something. Y'all some studs. Some of you guys are studs, and the girls know it. All right. And they're going to be like, okay, when I get around you, I'm going to quote some verses, I'm going to be all godly. You watch them when they ain't around you. You see how they talk to you, how they talk about, how they talk with their other girls. You see if they kind of shysty. You see what they're about. You get their character, the, the real sense of their character, before you start stepping to her because you think she's hot. Love is commitment, guys. You see in the end of the, te- in the, end of the text there, um, and this has all come from the text from implications perspective. Love is commitment. He's like, I'm down. You, you my girl. I'm taking you in my house. I'm dedicated to you until the day I die. Guys, we love Jesus. Divorce is not an option. You married her. You work through it. You repent. You sacrifice. You love. It's not, a, it's not even on the table. In our family, we told I remember the first, when we first got married, I don't know if my boo did she leave or not. We said, let me tell you something. In this house, you don't even bring that word up. It's not even to be said in this house. When we're fighting, you don't ever even, you don't, we don't even joke like that. It's not an option for the person that loves the Lord. Guys, I love you. I'm honored that I get to serve with you guys. Let's make sure. Uh, that we're taking cues from the Lord. Here's the thing. You're going right now, and I know I kept you late. Thank you so much. Some of you right now are going, but I've already messed up. I'm already, I've already did this thing. I've already did that thing. But see, that, th- this, this text isn't to depress you. That's the beauty of the scriptures. The beauty of the scriptures is that you get to see this lineage, and you get to understand something that you can have a new story. That's the beauty of the scriptures is God is saying for every one of us is that we get to have a new story right now. If you want it, you can say, "Okay, I know I did all this foul stuff, but right now I want to be a matriarch. I want to be a patriarch. And you can start today by getting rid of the dude that doesn't love Jesus, by getting rid of the girl that doesn't love Jesus, by putting your focus on the Lord, by saying, I want to repent of my sin. I want to repent of my self idol worship. I want to repent of worshiping this guy or this girl. And now I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to choose 
choose him. I'm going to understand and receive his providence, and I'm going to do what I'm called to do, and then God's going to be glorified. And the reason why we know we can do that is because we see that in this man, we have the birth of Christ. In this lineage right here, we have the birth of Christ. And God tells us, because of Jesus, we have a hope. This is not a depressing This is not a depressing story. This is a glorious story. Glorious story of a love relationship that eventually brings our Savior who tells us that nothing can hold us if we give our lives to him. That's the beauty of the gospel. Is that anything talked about from the scriptures always has a redemptive ring. And a redemptive ring is that no story is final because Christ has a last say, family. The blood, the resurrection of our Savior, of our murdered Savior says, I have the last say. I don't care if your family is, if you have drug addicts in your family. I don't care if you are a drug addict. I don't care if you are with a guy that beats you. You don't have to stay with him. Repent of the folly, family. Repent of the folly. Say, Lord, call it sin and say, I repent. I'm going to put myself in community so I can experience your grace. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to choose your way. And even though if it gets hard or not, it's totally irrelevant. This is true. You are providential and you are worth my life. That's the call from the text. The call from the text is be like this. Honor God and repent of folly. You can do that right now. Not by jumping through hoops. By believing and trusting Christ your Savior. I'm going to pray. What we're going to do is we're going to take tithing and offering. And I-